1: Hello, everyone. and Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Superpowers of the Soul. I'm your host, Amora Kai. And today I am so deeply honored and I'm just so very excited to be talking with our extraordinary guest, Jeff Raisley, about the unifying power of values. You know, I feel like, especially right now, so many of us are in this place of asking ourselves some deeper questions, you know, about all kinds of things, but certainly about our world, and where it's heading, what our place in it all is, and perhaps, you know, how we could best contribute at this particular moment to a better present and future for all of us. In other words, so many of us are pondering, you know, that that question, what difference for the better can I make? And where can should I be focusing my attention and my energy right now? And and that's why I'm just so extra thrilled to have Jeff joining us today to, to explore the power of a life guided by positive values over programmed beliefs and the astounding impact that power can have, certainly on each of us individually, but also collectively on our shared world. And so, you know, I find Jeff Raisley to be just an incredible human being. And though I'll share a little bit about him, I do so knowing there really are no words to truly do this man justice. Jeff is he's a lawyer, he's an author many times over, a director for five nonprofits. He at present count, he he teaches philosophy of philanthropy at Butler University. He's the US liaison for Adventure Geotrex Limited, which is a Himalayan expedition company. And he's president of the Basa Village Foundation, which funds culturally sensitive development in Nepal. I absolutely love listening to him discuss his amazing work, the little that I've been privileged to get my ears around, you know, through this foundation, as well as his philosophy on how living a values-based life and being of service to the world is actually the precursor to becoming a better person for yourself. I think so many times, many of us, you know, fall innocently into that trap of believing that I'll become this wonderful person, and then I'll share my wonderfulness generously with the world. And actually, uh, there's a different way. I love this philosophy on how we have that inverse sometimes. So, you know, I find Jeff to be such a humble being and a super inspiring soul. I am astounded by the important work that he's up to in the world. And, I'm absolutely delighted, delighted to have him here to share his adventures and share his wisdom with us. So so let's just go ahead and bring him on. Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us today.
0: Thank you, Amor, for having me. I I really appreciate that uh, (laughs) introduction. I'd like to meet that guy. He's he's, (laughs) pretty cool. (laughs)
1: Oh, see, that's what I love about you. I just love it. I am so happy to be talking with you today about the unifying power of values. and, And for all of us listening to hear, you know, what can really happen for ourselves and for our world when someone... I would dare say bravely, I would say bravely chooses to kind of go beyond program beliefs and step into a values-based way of living and decision-making. And I'm very eager to hear your experiences and your take on all of that. But before we get deep into all the profound wisdom and inspiration, I know you have to share. I'm sure our audience would love to hear your answer to our favorite question around here. And that is, what are your superpowers of the soul and how are you using them for good right now?
0: And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that uh, I I provided a written answer to that question a while ago, and I don't remember what my answer was. <laughs> so I'm going to have to make one up right here on the spot. Um, but, you know, the, the little chat we had before we um, came online um, just sort of reminded me, took me back to when did I start? really kind of feeling like i had to do something extraordinary in the sense of um, breaking what was going on within my own life um, and community and and i think what that was is my senior year in high school uh vietnam war was very intense And there was a lot of within my hometown, just uh, you know, pro-war, anti-war, just a a lot of uh, polarization um, and uh, dispute. And so I thought the one thing, though, that maybe the whole community could unite around um, would be helping people less fortunate than us. And so, um, with my high school girlfriend at the time, I had to give her credit to we uh, founded the first walk for hunger in uh, the city of Goshen Indiana which became an annual tradition and it really it rallied the the community the kids the grown-ups the school administration uh, all around uh, this cause which we raised money and, and gave to uh, an, an NGO working with a Native American uh, reservation as well as uh, a uh, foundation over in Asia, and we, you know, we walked all through town and so forth, and and it was just a, it was a wonderful sort of unifying experience. And so, um I guess that success gave me a feeling of confidence that that's something I could do, and I've done that in different ways throughout different stages in my life. So, exactly how you. Describe that as a superpower, um, mm-hmm. maybe finding ways to unify a community.
1: Mm, absolutely. Okay, folks, you can already hear how rich and how inspiring this conversation is going to be. So I can't wait to get deep in it. And you know what? We're going to go ahead and take our break right now so that we can get into it without interruption when we get back. I want to hear so much of what you have to say without any interruption so just before we do go to break jeff where can we tell people to go to find out more about you and connect with you
0: um best place would be my website which is my full first name jeffrey j-e-f-f-r-e-y raisley dot ycom
1: Excellent. Okay, beautiful. Thank you. And folks, we'll be sure to put that link up on the show page for you too. All right, everyone, you are listening to Superpowers of the Soul here on the Superpower Network. And we will be right back to get deep into the unifying power of values with Jeff Raisley in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. Are you ready to master your life? Are you looking for more calm and peace, connectedness in your relationships, more clear communication, guided thoughts, and a confidence in your ability to come up with creative solutions no matter what happens? Then join us at our next experience. Go to superpowerexperts.com and get signed up today. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is Amorakai. And if you're just tuning in, today we are talking with Jeff Raisley about the unifying power of values. So, Jeff, just before the break, we got to hear about your superpower and how it developed around unifying communities. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to hear all about your amazing work with the Bassett Village Foundation and how it ties into that unifying power of values and the philosophy that Living a values-based life and being of service to the world is the precursor, actually, to becoming that better person for yourself. So do you mind, can we start by asking you to please share with us what the Vasa Felage Foundation is and maybe perhaps how it came to be?
0: Yeah, um, and you may have to stop me because uh, (laughs) I could could talk for a long time about it, but trying to to keep it uh, as short. Uh, it's possible, but making uh, sense out of it. The BASA Foundation is a 501c3 tax-exempt foundation here in the U.S. And we have a sister NGO foundation with the very same name um, over in Nepal. And it came to be because um i was uh, leading uh trekking and mountaineering expeditions in in nepal uh starting back in the 90s um and i switched the outfitter company meaning the the, the company the local the nepal-based company that provides the guides uh porters cooks uh in for uh an expedition in 2006 and the company i found to do this was um adventure geo treks owned by a guy named Niru Rai and we connected uh on the internet uh, through email and uh we just kind of hit it off uh th- th- through email and um so i hired this company uh to take care of it was Bunch of us American climbers and trekkers, and it turned out that he was from this little remote village called Bassa, and all the guys that he hired uh, to be our guides and cooks and and uh, porters were from the village. So, spending a number of weeks up in the mountains with these guys, I got I got to know them, and they just had these wonderfully sweet disposition. And as I discovered, it was due in some part because of their ancient uh, belief system, which isn't really a belief system so much as a value-based approach to life, which we we would call animism. They think everything has spirit, God is everywhere, everything is sacred— and they don't really have a formal religion. They don't have a holy book because they don't have a written language. And this inspires a really sort of a super environmentalism, because if everything is sacred, you have to respect and take care of everything. And, mm-hmm. and I just love that attitude. Um, and so when we finished the expedition got back to Kathmandu, uh, Niru and our head guide uh, named Ganis took me aside, and they said, "You know, we have a, a school in Bassa. It only has three grades, and we would really like to add a fourth and a fifth grade. And five thousand dollars would buy all the materials we would need to add two classrooms, and it would pay teachers' salaries—two more teachers, a fourth and fifth grade teacher—for three years." So, oh, um, I, I think, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Three <laughs> years for two teacher salaries, all the materials to add to classrooms, $5,000. I have to say yes, but I wanted to do a fundraiser um, rather than just donate the money myself to get a bunch of my friend, trekker friends and climber friends involved. And so I did. So, a bunch of people. You know, threw in anything from five to a thousand dollars, and we we raised about sixty five hundred dollars. Just you know, went over budget accidentally. <laughs> and then the the and that was done in in oh seven, and then in oh eight, I organized a trek to the village, and that was my first visit to Tobasa in oh eight. And like many remote villages in the Nepal Himalayas, there was no running water, no electricity, no radio, TV, telephone, no road that went to the village. People lived the same way they had lived for 500 years. Um, They grew what they ate. They ate what they grew. Subsistence farming, that was how they lived. And um, the only modern... the the only way the modern world had sort of entered the village was through their little school and through Nuru's trucking company and other than that their way of life was unchanged for hundreds of years and when when we got to the village we were literally covered in flowers All, all of the villagers were waiting for us and they had created this this arch um with bamboo poles and covered in flowers and and a a sign in the english word welcome and they were all lined up um about 300 people with lays like um you know like we think of hawaii a a lay in hawaii well they had lays made of marigolds because that's their natural and they just they covered us (laughs) in those flowers
1: how beautiful that was my
0: welcome to basa oh
1: a little wonder you fell a little bit in love wow how beautiful how warm how rich actually and so how did the basa village foundation come to be from that initial
0: experience yeah so well so after that uh you know the, the school got the two more Classrooms and in a way, when I first when they first asked me to do that, I said, "Oh, you know, that's it." Because I had done sort of small um, philanthropic projects over in Nepal for a number of years, and just kind of one-off projects. Um, But after visiting the village. I wanted to go back to it. I just, I loved it and the people so much. And I decided this was the um, outfitter company I would keep using. And um, so, Nehru and I agreed that if the village asked us, and Nehru and um, no longer lived in the village, he still had a family home there, but his primary residence was in Kathmandu. along with the office of his company but like i said um everybody he hired came from either immediately from basa village or the surrounding area the basa area and so um we decided if the village asked us to do anything else you know we talk about it and see how we could respond and so (laughs) the next year um contacts me and Says, well, they would really like to have electricity in the village. The villagers look across this huge valley mm-hmm. and they see the twinkling lights of bigger villages across on the other side uh, in this other, this parallel mountain range. And uh, the teachers in the school say that if they had uh, electric lights, then kids could study at night and they could prepare lessons at night because otherwise, it, when darkness comes, it's dark uh, and everything pretty much <laughs> stops. So, we, uh, th- our next project was uh, to build a hydroelectric system um, for the village. And we developed this uh, philosophy um which eventually turned into a class that I teach but that um the the way to do uh philanthropic or development projects best is to only do something that the local people want so instead of telling them oh you know you you, know, you need automobiles or you know you you need uh cellular telephones we would never suggest anything to them to the village, but if the village uh, as a community asked us for something, we would see if we could help. And so uh, they asked uh, for electricity. And so the second principle we agreed on was that any manual labor, any actual work would have to be done by the villagers. And the third, was that whatever the end product was, what a school or an electrical system, the local people would own it. We we would outsiders would not own it, um, and so they developed their own school board. They developed a, a utility board, um, and what we would provide is needed capital because as subsistence farmers they didn't have any capital and we would provide expertise like engineering expertise if they needed it but in terms of running it owning it the villagers would do it themselves it would be theirs they'd be responsible for it and so we didn't want to create a sort of a welfare dependency system um we would Provide capital to get something started. We provide expertise to get something started as needed, but that was it. And so, you know, since then, uh, w- uh, that then developed into the two foundations. Um, and we've done a water system, a medical clinic, um, computers for the school, a second school, LED lights. Um, and a bunch of other smaller playground for the the school kids a library um things like that and the 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 village has changed in a lot of ways because cellular telephone now reaches the village the government put in a road which reaches the village it's a terrible road it's just a dirt road rutted <laughs> which <laughs> landslides <laughs> knock sections of it out now and then but but uh, you can get to the village by vehicle now you don't have to walk um, four or five days like I did uh, each time I visited the village um, but the essential culture the the traditions um, they've so far maintained it and so our desire to you know, not change the culture um has so far pretty well been been met, but you know, that's an on that's an ongoing experiment, but Mm -hmm. it's up to the villagers to decide how they want the modern world to come into their village and how they're going to adapt to it.
1: Well you know when it's not done that way, so many of us are privy to, uh, hearing stories, if not having personal experience or, or personal observation of even the best laid intentions of people going in to be of service and to help, but unknowingly many times really projecting and dominating and deciding for their people what needs to happen, and so in the detrimental effects that can happen as a result, I've seen a number of of things go down that way. And so, listening to your story and listening to sort of the parameters that you all came up with and the results that everybody gets to experience—not just the the people of this village, but also you yourselves and your part in it—just um, so touching, right? Really inspiring. Really inspiring because it's, um, it can be challenging sometimes to make ripples and make waves in the positive all around without sometimes causing, uh, unintentional damage, I would say. And so listening to how you've broken it down, how you're listening to the people and how everything. Uh, belongs to them there and you know you're very clear on what you're providing and and very clear who owns what i think that is astounding and a real testament to how we can do these things in a really great way and so what is going on in the foundation these days and how can people get involved if they can
0: yeah it's it's taken a really interesting turn um the so when Nehru and I first started our partnership, um, we never expected that we would do anything, any projects beyond sort of basic infrastructure, you know, health education, um, utilities, that kind of thing. But the pandemic uh, opened our eyes. Well, I, I should say opened my eyes. I'm sure Nehru understood this very well before. but in Nepal, tourism is the second biggest industry agriculture is the biggest and so the pandemic comes and a huge portion of the population in nepal is out of work and there's no income um it just stopped um and so we had at least i had never considered Trying to create a, a business, uh, a money-making enterprise for the village, and, and it's funny because a lot of Americans that have trekked um, with me in Nepal and have been exposed to Basa, uh, their first instinct is to try to figure out how to make money <laughs> for the villagers. Um, I mean, it's just you know that's just such an American response, and I'm always i've always sort of you know shutting that down. I said, no, no, that's not. That's not what we're here for, but what uh, I've realized is that without any um, income stream, they the village can't sustain itself in the way that it did before um, many of its members uh, got employment in the trekking industry, um, because. Uh, <laughs> You know, this is one of those things where every coin has two sides. Mm-hmm. When medical, when Western science-based medical care was within reach of the village, it had a population explosion. Um, forever, th- uh, three out of four babies died. had a 75% infant mortality, which sounds terrible, mm-hmm. um, but it kept the population stable and the life expectancy of the villagers was about 50 to 55 years old well they're now living into the late late 60s is life expectancy and infant mortality is 25% instead of 75% and so there's been this huge population explosion and the village has been able to handle it to some extent by guys making money uh, in the trekking industry well when that stopped that was source of revenue was gone and all these older people and all these kids who are now dependent on money which before they didn't even they didn't have money (laughs) Um, it was they lived through a barter system but you know with money they They'd walk two hours to the market village, two hours down the road, and um, could buy food and could buy clothing and so forth. And and so uh, this last generation had come to depend on that. And um, so what the uh, foundation is working on now is developing an economic co-op, a business that would be a cooperative for the whole village to benefit from. And we're basically just saying, you know, tell us what your plan is and give us a budget. And and they've been uh, debating various ideas. They first started with they thought they'd uh, create uh, lemon trees and banana trees and um, be able to sell those at market. Mm-hmm. Well, then we heard fairly recently they have ditched that idea, and they're now wanting to um, have uh, animal husbandry, um, sheep and goats. Mm-hmm. And so we're at this point just waiting to hear an actual plan and, and get a budget, but we're expecting uh, before the summer is over to w- start working on a project, which will probably be where we capitalize a sheep and goat <laughs> raising <laughs>
1: business. <laughs> wow! Oh my goodness! Wow! Incredible! Incredible! Okay. Yeah, the pandemic has certainly changed and and revealed so many different things. That's incredible that you all were able to come together and and really see that and move forward so that everybody could um, evolve in this necessary way. So that dependency is no longer, um, you know, crippling in these circumstances and who knows, who knows in the future, that's, that's a really key foundational piece for everybody. So because of the pandemic, I mean, I'm assuming that you go back and forth habitually quite a bit. Is that true? And have you not been in a while? What is all that looking like just in the practical for a moment? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I had been going over about every other year, but, yeah. uh, and I, I had planned to go back in 2019. So I was there in 2017, but then, um, the, when the pandemic hit, it canceled everybody's plans. And, um, yeah. at this point we have one of our directors, uh, named Sidney Freymeyer, who's also a, a trekking uh, leader uh mm-hmm. she's a, she has a trek organized it's been organized for <laughs> about three oh. years now that yeah. it looks like she's actually going to be able to go with 12 people um in october oh, and wow. so uh you know she'll 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 be our first real live person-to-person contact this october and I, i'm not sure when i'll go back um you know, maybe next year, just depending on how the project is developed. Um, but I, I really like the idea of other people going and having their mm. feet on the ground, meeting people in Basa and Nuru. Um it, You know, just the, yeah. an actual real person connection, mm. I think, deepens the, deepens the connections, which are, uh-huh. are important for this kind of work.
1: I agree. Incredible. And so how can people do that?
0: Well, um, my website tells uh, it it has a link with Adventure Geotrex. So anybody who just wants to go experience the Himalayas um, can do that through Adventure Geotrex. And if they specifically would like to get involved with the foundation, there's a link um, to our our uh, foundation website, which is a very simple BVF USA. So Bassa Village Foundation USA, just bvfusa.com bvfusa.com is the foundation's website. Um, and it's linked to mine. Um, and so it tells you how you could just donate financially, or if you want to um, trek to BASA, how to mm-hmm. sign up to do that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. Absolutely brilliant. So uh, just quickly, so when was your first, uh, let's say your first project? I mean, how many years ago are we talking? When did this first happen in Vasa for you?
0: Well, in, in terms of uh, Nepal itself, mm-hmm. um, I went to Nepal for the first time in 1995 uh, at my wife's suggestion because mm-hmm. I had turned 40 and she decided i was having a midlife crisis and uh <laughs> I, I agreed with her <laughs> but my my remedy was to buy a harley motorcycle <laughs> and hers was to slap a brochure down on, on the table in front of me when Aww. i came home that evening, which was to track the mount everest base camp trail and
1: Aww. she said
0: why don't you go do this mm. so i did and hmm. uh just kind of fell in love with the mountains and the the people that live up in the Himalayas and wanted to go back and learn how to climb, which living in Indiana, there's (laughs) mountain climbing (laughs) isn't a popular (laughs) sport here (laughs) since we don't have any mountains.
1: Uh Uh
0: So, you know, I, I learned and went back actually the next time to Ladakh, India with, um, Really, a a famous and wonderful climbing leader, uh, a guy named John Roskelly, who's done a lot of, you know, K2, Mount Everest, big mountain guy. And so I learned how to do that and then eventually started leading my own groups. And after about the, let's see, the the third time I went back to Nepal, yeah, the third time I connected with uh, the, the outfitter company I was using also had its own NGO, which is called seeds Um, was education, environment development service. And it was a a wonderful organization too. And has done a lot of good work just kind of all throughout the Himalayan area. And so I I just did some fundraisers for them. So I'd raise some money, um, gather up, Clothing and books for schools and things like that. So each time I'd go back, I would bring a few thousand dollars to donate to seeds and bring donated items from friends. And so that kind of got me into that mode. And I came up with the term philanthro trekking uh, Mm -hmm. to describe it. Mm -hmm. But then the school was, as I've already told you, you know, how I connected with Nehru and And Basa,
1: yeah amazing i love it so you know this philosophy of yours around becoming a better person right for yourself and how i mean i i spoke earlier on in our time together here about how sometimes i believe so many of us think like okay i need to i need to do this thing i need to become this thing i need to right become this person and then i'll i'll have the you name it, X, Y, Z, to better share myself with the world and do good things, and I, I feel like sometimes we have it a little reverse. And I love your philosophy, which kind of flips that upside down and says, "Hey, you know, living a values-based life, getting beyond this sort of program belief idea, and being of service to the world first is actually the way to becoming a better person for yourself." So, in your experience of, uh, of you know, your Philanthro Trekking. I love that. Your experience with the Boston Village Foundation. And uh, how has it really impacted that for you? Your choice to live this way, be of service to the world this way? How has it impacted you becoming that better person for yourself?
0: Well, one way was I, I was always very active in the church. I grew up within the, the Presbyterian denomination. And meant a lot to me but yeah. something <laughs> i began to notice was that it <laughs> said to be a presbyterian you're supposed to believe x y and z mm-hmm. and the more i thought about that uh the more i noticed how all these different organizations religions uh, political parties um have these beliefs that you are expected to believe in and i as i examine my own beliefs I said, well i don't believe in the most of the things <laughs> the presbyterian church says i'm supposed to believe i mean you know just obvious examples the virgin birth of jesus the right. resurrection of his body i mean I mm-hmm. stopped believing things like that when I was a kid. it's like, those are just like myths, legends. I mean, they're nice stories and, mm-hmm. and as a story, uh, okay. As long as you understand it's a story, but as isn't a literal concrete, um, truth. No. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, what, how, how is this affecting us? And what, I more and more realize that these is these belief systems divide people rather than unite people. In the sense of, if you know, Christianity, if you don't believe Jesus is your savior, you're a heretic. Um, and uh, it's the same of all religions. I mean, even the you know the gentle, loving. Buddhists uh in Myanmar right now, the Buddhists are slaughtering the Rohingya Muslims. And the, all the organized religion have this problem, I think, of saying these are our beliefs, and you're either with us or against us. Right. And so as I as I thought more about this, so okay, well, what could replace that? And I thought, well, it's actually it's values because doesn't every sane, non-sociopathic person think that compassion, for example, mm-hmm. is, is a good thing to practice? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, sociopaths <laughs> don't, mm-hmm. but sane, decent human beings do. And, you know, there's a whole range of values that almost everybody who is not <laughs> mentally deranged would agree mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to live by it. I want to live that way. I, I want. I want to be a, a caring person. I I want to respect people's privacy. I want to um, have freedom of expression, uh, and I want other people to do so too. Uh, I want to be tolerant of differences, and so, you know, that's. I eventually I I left the Presbyterian Church and. And tried to put these thoughts into a a book form, which is called Godless Living a Valuable Life Beyond Beliefs. And what really helped me to get to the point of being able to be analytical about that was being around the Basa Rai people because of their animism, because they don't have any system of beliefs. Right. It's it's all just they they live by values that grow out of this sense of everything is holy, uh-huh. <laughs> and just a l- little story to emphasize <laughs> how radical that is. So I'm walking down a trail with my friend Ghanis, um who's a, one of the chief guides, and there's a rock in the middle of the trail, and so I start to just kick the rock out of the out of our way and he gently puts his hand on my shoulder and kind of restrains me and with his boot he moves the rock to the side of the trail and it's like what why did you do that and he said jeff died rock has spirit too um, and that's you know it's just everything like you know the christian um phrase um uh, love god um and love your neighbor as yourself and this is like takes that a step further mm-hmm. it's love everything as you love yourself mm-hmm. and um you know i i think people that love that love nature um you know have whether they consider themselves animus or not um and whatever religion you know, you, you've you been brought up in or belong to they all have that message within them. It's just that there are all these layers of other beliefs that start dividing people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, that's really you know I tried to express that in that book and in various ways have so done it in some other books since then and then I combine that sense of um, value based way of life. Connecting it directly with being philanthropic uh, in the course that I've taught at Marion University and butler university mm-hmm. um, because phalan- you know philanthropy it's uh from the Greek philos anthropos um, which means love of humanity so mm-hmm. I-, I think that <laughs> you know connects <laughs> exactly what the right people <laughs> uh, the way they live,
1: yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think one of my, one of the quotes, I think it is from your book, Godless, I could be wrong. But this quote really sums it up. And I loved it so much. It jumped off the page at me. Uh, And basically, you're, you're describing this exact what you've just been describing. And what you're saying is it essentially it encourages a spiritual response of awe and gratitude for being alive and conscious in this wonderful shared world living that way and i just thought that that was so beautifully said on the power of this and what it can evoke for yourself and others and listening to your story about your friend in the rock is just exactly that
0: yeah and that that quote um i think i said that in that exact quote <laughs> in two different books the godless book and then also um the last book I wrote about experience in Nepal, which is called "You Have to Get Lost Before You Can Be Found," mm-hmm. um, but that you know that sense of awe that we are alive in this beautiful world is an absolute gift. We didn't do anything mm-hmm. to deserve it. You know, we're just we're born into it. Our yeah. birth is a gift, mm-hmm. and then our consciousness that we are alive and we can experience this we can see it feel it touch it taste it hear it think about it um th- i mean that's awesome it's it's just that is miraculous and when you think about how the universe was created this violent explosion uh, the debris you know stood out and the, this you know stuff rattling around that eventually becomes the sun and the earth uh, and then life evolves from that and that I mean it's crazy that from that here we are and so you know all of our our own life it's it's all of it is miraculous and that that we're we're here is miraculous but that we can consciously experience um, this world and each other um, it's it, it's awesome and that awe that sense of awe if you can hold on to it is what i think inspires the, what i call a values-based way of life as opposed to a beliefs-based way of life
1: Well, it's a beautiful way to encapsulate it for others, uh, for myself and others listening and how we can step into. I mean, that was one of my questions for you is, okay, so how do we do this? What's the first step? And I I think you've just given it to us. Stepping into and looking through the world through that lens of awe, through that lens of the miraculous and the gratitude for being alive and conscious and just being able to feel it, see it, sense it, smell it, all of those things. Doesn't that put you in such a different state just right away? and stepping into that place from there, uh, feel somewhat natural, somewhat natural. I could talk with you for weeks on end. I, I think, and I wouldn't get my fill, I just, you know, I, I want to give you a moment. Are there any thoughts you truly feel inspired to share around this topic, the unifying power of values and especially how we can more step into living that values-based life before we wrap up for today?
0: Well, I, I guess the, i just sort of re-emphasize um what we we just said to each other and that is to pay attention um you know like this afternoon i'm at my laptop working on my next book and i glance up and there's a little chipmunk skittering across my back porch with a little berry in its mouth Mm -hmm. and that's something in a way i can experience every day we have a bunch of chipmunks uh, mm-hmm. in our yard and they're often skittering across our back porch and i think how lovely is that i mean that mm-hmm. is just it's so so sweet this little little creature scurrying along there and um just having that being open to letting that sense of awe in uh, i think is where it's well really as you said you know where where it starts and uh it grows um the the one other thing uh i i think um meditation is a very good practice for a lot of reasons and you know i think anybody that's looked into it knows uh what those reasons are um but I do a meditation every morning and and every evening um, when I'm waking up and when I'm going to bed, which is is very simple. It's thank, you know, inhale, thank, exhale you. Thank you as I inhale, as I exhale. And I try to do that twice a day just to remind me of how grateful and not just that this is, awesome that we exist and we're conscious but also that the gratitude should be the response to that
1: Mm. oh jeff i just adore you what a powerful and profoundly inspiring conversation i i just so appreciate you being here with us today for sharing yourself for sharing your wisdom your adventures and and everything so generously with us thank you so much for being here
0: well, thank you, Amor, for having me. It's It's been really delightful talking to you and getting to know you, and I hope we'll be able to do it again someday.
1: Oh, me as well. Me as well. All right, everyone, and thank you all for joining us today too. As always, as always, I hope today's episode serves your highest possible good and inspires you to explore what could happen for you and for our shared world when you bravely choose to go beyond program beliefs and step more fully into a values-based way of living and decision-making for yourself as well. And if you're feeling inspired to explore amongst new friends, and you're someone who loves amazing experiences then i invite you to come play with us at the next experience a virtual event hosted by our network founder tonya don Reckla, which is absolutely free for you to attend or perhaps inside the next cifa training workshop if you haven't heard of cifa yet please let me be the one to tell you about it and how incredible it is for individuals, couples, families, organizations, everyone. It, it's one of those things you just have to experience for yourself to really understand. I find it to be a quite a visceral experience. So I encourage you to head on over to the main website at superpowerexperts.com for more information or to get registered today. And until next time, keep unlocking your own superpowers of the soul and put them to great use creating a life in a world you love. Bye for now, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to SuperpowerExperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.